0: Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi.
1: And I'm Sarah Jacobs.
0: Sarah, unfortunately, in the past week, we lost two really great ones uh, in the photography industry. The first, photojournalist Tom Stoddard, war photographer, uh, globe-trotting a photojournalist, as the Washington Post article uh, indicated. This is a guy deeply admired by fellow photojournalists. He shot predominantly in black and white during his 40-year career freelancer for a lot of that he often quoted according to this Washington Post article a Canadian photographer named Ted Grant is saying quote if you photograph in color you see the color of their clothes but if you photograph in black and white you see the color of their soul so oh. he had a you know a soft spot for uh, black and white photography this is a guy you know when you talk about big events in the 80s and 90s. He photographed the Serbian siege at Sarajevo, Lebanon in the 1980s, the Pan Am Lockerbie disaster. He covered the British prime ministers, Margaret Thatcher, David Cameron, Tony Blair. And he has a really, really cool iconic shot of Lady Diana Spencer prior to her marriage to Prince Mm -hmm. Charles. He also was one of the first to cover the fall of the Berlin Wall, on a trip that he financed himself at the time on a hunch. Wow. Yeah. So there was an article in 2014 uh, in the Daily Mail where he also uh, went back to uh, Berlin to track down some of the people that he photographed on that day that he was there when the, when the wall fell. And a few kind of choice quotes from that article... Uh he says a few days before I'd been in East Berlin covering the growing demonstrations against the East German regime for Time magazine. I went back to London and sent my film to its office in New York. Uh that might have been that except my instincts told me that something spectacular was about to happen in Berlin. I'm a freelancer and couldn't convince any of my usual clients so he goes on his own. And he's there when they open up Checkpoint Charlie. He sees like some of the first people coming over. He goes back the next day to see people tearing down the wall. Just amazing, you know, right place at the right time. In 2003, he received the Larry Burroughs Award for Exceptional War Photography. And The Guardian had a really, really nice gallery of a lot of his historically important photos. Did you get a chance to to see some of those?
1: I did. Yeah. The work is just, I mean, it's striking. It's so good. And talk about a resume. I mean, the guy has witnessed so, so much history.
0: I I love this Diana Spencer image. Uh, It is shot through the window of her car, but you get the reflection of the houses and the trees in the background. And it's also illuminated by flash. And She has this very surprised look on her face. And she's so young. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: she's what nineteen at the time or something like that. According to all of the, you know, the the movies and and the crown and all that kind of stuff, Lady Spencer is uh, top of mind for many people right now.
1: The Daily Mail mentioned that he was he happened to be on the Staten Island Ferry on September eleventh, two thousand one. I mean, talk about Crazy. the guy's timing just just wild.
0: There's one image from Sarajevo, nineteen ninety two, and it's a woman whose eyes are. Very, very wet. And there's a tear coming down the right side of her face, uh, holding a very young toddler. And here's the caption for this image. It says, tears of anguish for a mother as she prepares to send her child out to Sarajevo on a bus, promised safe passage by the Serb forces during the siege in 1992. And he says, quote, I saw the woman was very striking with blue eyes fighting back her tears. She had dressed her little boy in this finest kit and it was obviously a very emotional time. There was also tension in the air. The Serbian forces were not averse to lobbing grenades into crowds. She said she hates the photograph because she was trying to look completely dignified. Hmm. Interesting that he that she saw that image of her and he had an opportunity to get her thoughts. Um, absolutely very just stunning photo what a loss for the photojournalism world so we send our condolences to uh, Tom's family
1: another incredibly talented photographer that we lost is Mick Rock who was a British photographer known as the man who shot the 70s Um, he was 72 he photographed Queen Bowie Lou Reed Iggy Pop The Sex Pistols, Ozzy Osbourne, The Ramones, Joan Jett, Talking Heads, Motley Crue, Blondie. I mean, if you were anyone in the 1970s, you were photographed by Mick. Um, He was born in Hammersmith, London, and started taking pictures uh, of the local music scene when he was attending Cambridge. Apparently, according to him, the first time he picked up a camera, he was on an LSD trip. (laughs) (laughs) So he was feeling, feeling creative and liked the sound of the shutter. He moved to New York in 1977 after having first visited with David Bowie in 72. And he was actually Bowie's personal photographer in 72. Um, So just the amount of photographs he has of David is just amazing. Um, He says, quote, in a Guardian interview, there's no doubt that New York was darker, more depraved than London. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I wish I could have seen New York in the seventies. This is a loss. This is a big loss.
0: Uh, I can't think of a better name for a rock and roll photographer than Mick Rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? how do you? I mean, and 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 that was his real name too. Uh, although he's, you know, he did say a few years ago that. Uh, he, his biological father was actually an American. And so I think he has a secondary birth certificate with a last name Smith or something like that. But Mick Rock is, is how he's known in that same Guardian article. They say in 1996, he underwent quadruple bypass surgery and a kidney transplant. His medical bills paid by the Rolling Stones, former manager, Alan Klein, and subsequently enjoyed a career rebirth. He had been irked by the man who shot the seventies tag. Considering that it made him sound obsolete, and he photographed swaths of newer artists, including Snow Patrol, The Black Keys, Snoop Dogg, Foo Fighters, Alicia Keys, Yeah Yaz, yeah, yes, Janelle Monet, Rufus Wainwright, Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus, and Pharrell Williams. All of oh. the artists who are like still very, very relevant <laughs> in 2021. So it's kind of nuts
1: it is. how
0: many decades this guy's uh, career spanned.
1: Absolutely. I I mean, his variety of shooting styles, I mean, he would shoot live performances, he would shoot backstage portraits, he would shoot the party scene. Like, he really had a wide depth of talent for all types of scenarios. And I really think that it was very influential on the current generation of photographers, you know, just being able to shoot whatever is in front of them and make it look fun and wild and good.
0: You know, I've had a few conversations with photographers who were shooting rock and roll back in the 70s and read a number of interviews of other photographers. And, man, it seemed like just a crazy, magical time. I can't imagine. Before the artists were asking for all the rights, it was just, you know— you know, guy or gal with their camera decides to photograph the band. The band really likes it. They get invited on tour with the band. They do a ton of drugs with the band. They don't remember half the time (laughs) that they were there. And they come up with these like crazy, intimate, iconic images. Oh, what a blast it must have been.
1: I know. R.I.P. McRock. Rock. You created some amazing work. So, you know, usually former presidents, we're really switching the gears here. Former presidents write thick memoirs when they leave the office. I mean, for example, George W. Bush published the book Decision Points, which was a 481-page memoir. And Obama decided that he needed two books, one of which is yet to be published. (laughs) You know, it seems like it's a rite of passage after you leave office. Um, And I guess they see it, you know, as like they're writing down a bit of history. Um, Now, (laughs) Trump's post-presidency book is not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's n- not a thick memoir. The title is Our Journey Together, and it's a picture book, and it's featuring over 300 images from his presidency, which uh, is just uh, an incredible amount of photos for a book, um, and a little bit strange, given that he didn't give Sheila Craig Craighead, who was the um, chief photographer during his term... You know, the same sort of access that we saw Pete Souza get during the Obama years. The book is published by Winning Team Publishing. You you pointed out that there's no photo credit on the cover.
0: Yeah, it's strange. You know, you really didn't hear Sheila's name during the entire presidency. No. And so to have this book, which ostensibly is composed of her photos and other uh, photographers on the White House staff because otherwise they would have to pay for the, the rights usage, and I just don't see them doing that because they have mm-hmm. a set of public domain images that are there. It strikes me as just being kind of strange that it is a photo book with no photo credit. I guess I'm kind of curious to see how it does in its sales. I'm sure people will pick it up who are Trump fans, and of course there are millions of, of them. It's not cheap. $79.99 for the book, although again it's 300 photos, so that's pretty good for a photo book. And if you yeah. want a signed copy, I think it's 249.99. Oh, dang! Or something like that. Yeah. So <laughs> got to pay for that you know, signature.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I remember Sheila didn't give that many interviews. Maybe like one or two at the very, very beginning of his term. You know, about this new role that she was fulfilling. She worked for the Bush administration. Um, prior so she had had some uh, you know White House experience she's a really good photographer Um, so I'm sure that there's some some good shots in the book I have no interest in buying it I think it makes perfect sense that Trump would come out with a picture book you know rather than like a thick memoir he has always relied on and understood the power of photography when it comes to his brand and his image and his reputation and he knows what his audience wants And I think it's kind of perfect. I
0: I thought the design was actually kind of smart, too. I was looking at some of the galleys that were published on that website. Um, And the typical page layout is that there's a photo on the left. And then on the right, there's a handwritten caption Mm -hmm. with his handwriting in fat Sharpie that they photographed for the right side of the page. So are these diptychs that has a very Trumpian look and feel to it. The question I have in my head is, will he actually end up writing a memoir to follow this? Mm. And everybody knows like art of, art of the Trump, was that the name of the book back in the 80s? Art of the art, Trump was ghostwritten. Art
1: of, the, art, of the
0: oh, yeah. art of the deal. Art of the deal. Art of the deal, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was ghostwritten. So I'm not sure that Trump is able to actually write a complete memoir on his own. Uh, Plus, he's getting up there in age as well, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what books follow from winning team publishing after this book comes out next month. On Twitter, there was an announcement that the Environmental Photographer of the Year was recently crowned, and the grand prize winner, Antonio Aragon Renuncio, took home 10,000 pounds, British pounds, for his image of a sleeping child in the ruins of a building near a beach allegedly in Ghana. Now, the BBC and a few other outlets published the winning gallery and winning images, and a number of people on Twitter were really taken aback by this particular image. Benjamin Chesterton, who we've talked about a number of times on the podcast, otherwise known as Duck Rabbit Blog on Twitter, initiated a fairly lengthy discussion thread starting with three important questions about the winning photo. Number one, why is the child sleeping in the sun? Number two, why is the child sleeping in an abandoned house? And number three, is it because the child is black that the judges don't ask these questions? Lots of discussion (laughs) on this particular uh, image. And I came across tweets from two other photographers. Uh, The first is the UK-based Sean Connell, who runs the Black Gaze website and Twitter accounts. And Nana Kofi Akwa, a documentary photographer and director from Ghana, Uh, from where the winning image was taken. I emailed them a set of questions to see if they'd be interested in answering because they had just some really, I thought, really insightful things to say on Twitter. Um, Mm -hmm. And Sean, one of the choice quotes that Sean had, I asked him uh, what visual violence meant because... You know, we've heard of, obviously, emotional violence and physical violence, but visual violence is something that I've come across a bunch in the past year or two, and I wanted to get a good definition. And he said, quote, Visual violence is the impact caused by the constant, unrelenting, and dehumanizing way black and brown-skinned people are depicted visually. If it's not poverty, it's plight. If it's not plight, it's pain. If it's not pain, it's poverty. It is a circle of confusion that reinforces tropes and stereotypes that have been around in photography since its inception. Mm. Got to agree with that. Yeah, that's
1: a very good definition.
0: And then Nana, who actually has been a judge for World Press uh, Photo and some other uh, important photo contests, said that contests are becoming more inclusive, so it's now common to find both jury and competitors coming from all around the world. But this hasn't changed much, because how we see hasn't changed which I also thought was very insightful because it doesn't matter how diverse the judge, uh, the judge jury becomes and how diverse the applicants come if they're just replicating stereotypes and tropes that they've seen that have won in the past as well. And we talked about how winning photos kind of set the tone for specific genres of photography. Uh, so I think this is also a very astute uh, observation. One of the things that Benjamin also brought up was that, this, you know, the child sleeping in the sun and Nana, who's from Ghana and Ghana's like five degrees off the equator, um, said nobody leaves their kid in the sun. There was a little bit of pushback from people on Twitter saying, oh, I've left my kid in the sun, you know, or he was in the shade and then the sun moved and, you know, I just let him sleep there. I will say as someone from Hawaii that you know, and Hawaii is at 21 degrees. Oahu is at 21 degrees latitude. You don't leave kids in the sun because Mm. the sun is very, very hot as you get towards the equator. Yeah. So if you live in Seattle and during the summer, it's like 72 degrees, I can totally understand at that higher latitude where you let your kids sleep in the sun. You would not do that in Hawaii. And according to Nana, you certainly wouldn't do that uh, in Ghana because they'd be burnt to a crisp. And then Benjamin also said he would like to see any photo contest where the winning image includes a child, that a child safety expert is brought in to sort of observe, observe and criticize that image to see if anything weird is going on. Mm. And that seems honestly like a very reasonable ask.
1: Yeah, especially when he began to kind of deep dive into this photographer's archive and be like, wait, he has a lot of pictures of similar pictures of children just like asleep that have won awards as well. So it seems as though he's got a pattern.
0: Yeah. And there's stuff in his portfolio that seems on first glance to be a little sketchy. You know, the way that he's toning and a number of people commented on his heavy use of vignette. Um, Mm Hmm. Uh, a lot of like children, almost exclusively children, black and brown and poverty. He's a guy that I guess spends a lot of time in Africa and is affiliated with a a nonprofit that is sort of like a smile train. They, they fix, uh, uh, cleft palates and, um, other deformities. Um, so it, it, it seems to me to be a case where mm, he's well-intentioned, but he's using photography in a way, uh, that really builds upon these stereotypes. And so I think it's very questionable uh, how he's approaching his photography. And people, I think, rightly called him out for it.
1: Yeah. Benjamin, I mean, relentlessly advocates for children's rights. And I, I'm always glad to see it whenever I come across it via Twitter. Um, and I'm glad that you took this conversation off of Twitter and kind of, so that the (laughs) two subjects you interviewed could elaborate on and explain like what, what they meant within their short tweets.
0: I I appreciate Twitter for, you know, kind of quick reaction. And I think that especially when it comes to uh, journalism, that you get a lot of background information that would never completely past the editorial process.
1: Right. So there's
0: a lot of speculation. There's maybe some innuendo, et cetera. But it isn't the place for me where I'm like, what is the definitive story behind this thing? Mm. Or, you know, I don't I don't like, you know, 20 tweet threads and you have to unroll <laughs> the thread to like get any cogent sense of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to your point, I it, to me, it's often a springboard for finding potential subjects to write about. Um, but Sean and Nana are both terrific. that You definitely should follow them. We're going to link this on our blog with all of the other things that we talked about today at blog.photoshelter.com. And finally today, Leica and the shoe company Vans unveil a new Dub 7 camera with a checkerboard design. Now, if you're not familiar with Vans sneakers, they're kind of... Uh, I guess they're big in like the skateboard, skateboard world. Oh, yeah. And they've had. Yeah, just a, like streetwear, streetwear culture in streetwear general. Culture, yeah. Yeah, uh, coming out of like the 80s, and that checkerboard pattern has been there forever. And I think it went out of style for, a, a, you know, just a second. And then now it's really back in style again. Um, I thought it was interesting to note that this is a co brand with the cheapest camera that they have. This is Dub7. Oh.
1: And how much is this one?
0: This one's go like. For? Like fifteen hundred dollars, which is also oh insane, God. you know, considering yeah, what it right. is. Um, yeah. whereas some of their other collaborations, like the Lenny Kravitz model, is with their flagship M M ten or M nine at the time. I can't remember exactly what it is.
1: So I remember it being insanely expensive. Yeah, that
0: that thing is like five thousand, six thousand dollars. Yeah. I'm really curious to know what the calculus is for saying, okay, Kravitz gets the expensive camera <laughs> and Vans gets the G B camera. <laughs>
1: You know what? They look at the potential market, Alan, and they're like, hmm, how much do these people make?
0: I mean, that's probably (laughs) what it is. And, and, you know, I think there's a tendency to be really cynical about Leica, given their current reputation for being like the rich guy's camera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the typical oh, doctors and dentists are going out and buying these cameras. But they clearly know their audience, given that these collaborations keep getting produced you know, every year we see some new collaboration that everyone rolls their eyes at, and yet they, I guess, it's profitable enough for them to keep doing it.
1: Oh, yeah. This this makes sense. Like, I remember when Jonah Hill was, like, photographed, you know, having his Leica right. on him, and we talked about it on the show. I mean, he's the one who directed Mid-90s, which is all about skater culture. So this,
0: ah. you
1: know, partnership with Vans, it makes sense.
0: Well, I think we, I think I'm, wrote a whole uh, blog article on people who use Leicas, or or somebody had, it's weird that I can't remember whether I wrote it or read
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) Was that me or was that somebody else?
0: (laughs) But uh, the musician John Mayer also kind of famously uses Leicas. I mean, there's a whole bunch of celebrities. I think uh, Jason Momoa, Aquaman, also uses uh, Leicas. So where are those collabs? Also, where's the Virgil Abloh Off-White Leica? I would, I I might even buy that one, huh?
1: That would fly off the shelves, right? Fly off the shelves. A white Leica like with the they, orange
0: tag. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. Or like with well, now Supreme has kind of like jumped the shark, <laughs> <laughs> so never mind. The Virgil collab. That's a great idea.
0: Oh yeah, come on, Off White, make it happen. <laughs> hey, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. You got any big plans?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm going to go out of town. I'm going to have some good turkey. um, And it should be fun. How about you?
0: Going to have some people over to the apartment, a little small gathering, COVID, you know, approved gathering. Going to bake a turkey. But uh, I guess it's a nice time to say thank you to our audience for listening to the show. This is actually episode 131. We've been doing this for over two years now
1: wow that's wild and you're right thank you guys for keeping on listening and getting to the end of the show if you're hearing this
0: and if you did get to the end of the show you might as well smash that subscribe button leave us a rating you can always tweet at us at photo shelter or as sarah pointed out last week if i wrote something really controversial you can just tweet at me at (laughs) alan everyone have safe travels have a great holiday we'll talk to you next week bye-bye PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at PhotoShelter.com slash resources.